All right, good morning. You know, it really is a joy to be a pastor. I'm so thankful that I get to do something that I love to do, and so you don't need to ever give me anything. It's just joy enough to do this. I, you know, I've worked a lot of jobs as I was growing up. I, uh, I helped a brick mason once in the middle of winter, and I had to use those tongs and carry him up the scaffolding, but I just get to study the Bible all week and prepare to talk to you. So it is a blessing to do that, but uh, I really appreciate that you guys show us such love. I do have to disagree, though, with Chris about one thing. I am not at all happy about the snow. Not in the least bit. I hate the snow. I'm from Michigan, but I don't like it. But uh, this week, my sermon is not about snow, and it's not about how happy I am to be your pastor. As always, it's about the Bible. And so I'd encourage you to open your Bibles up with me and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. In just a moment, we'll, we'll start looking at that. But before we do, I just want to set some groundwork for what we've been doing over the last six weeks. We're in part seven of an 11-week series entitled Boundaries. It's based off this book that you see behind me. Uh, not the book itself, but a, a, about the principles from the Bible that are found within this book. And as I have interacted with people, I have found that these are some of the issues that we, you, and me struggle with at an extremely high level. And so since we struggle with it so much, it seemed wise to me to just take some time and talk about it. In week one, we looked at what a boundary is exactly. And a boundary is nothing more than an invisible fence that defines what we are and what we are not responsible for. It defines what we are and what we are not responsible for. And like any good fence, it keeps the good in and keeps the bad out. In week two, we looked at how boundary problems develop, and they always develop out of a result or out of a uh, place of unconditional love where there is a lack of it. When we lack unconditional love, we cause boundary problems. We start to squeeze people and force them and try to do things to them that they don't want done to them because of our insecurity, born out of a lack of unconditional love. And over these past couple of weeks, we've been applying different boundary, uh, these principles of boundaries to various relationships. We started with family. We moved to friends. Last week, we talked about spouses and submission and love, and that was really fun. And today, we move to children. Boundaries in your children. Our text this morning, as I've already mentioned, is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It's found for us on page 975 on the blue Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, you can feel free to use one of ours. And if you'd like a Bible, you can just take that one home right in front of you. We are a church and we are generous with our giving out of Bibles. But as you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, I want to highlight that what we are talking about today is not just relevant to parents. Some of us have kids that are young. Mine are eight, six, and three. Some of us have kids that are old. Some of us have never had kids. But the sermon this morning is not just about parenting, although it is about parenting. And and part of what you will see in just a moment is from our passage. The passage that we are about to look at is not a passage that was written to parents about parenting. It was a passage that was written to Christians that were going through an extremely difficult and hard time to help them understand how God interacts with them. And in the context of that passage, the author uses an illustration about parenting. And so if you're here today and you've ever been someone that wonders about how God interacts with humankind when we are going through hard times, then this message applies to you. And I've also found that having kids is a great way to give yourself hard times. So it also applies to us who have kids, right? So this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Hear the beautiful words of God. They're just just stunning. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since 
We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and run the, uh, hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the protector, perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. If you struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of your blood. And have you, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father would address his sons? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline." And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens every son he accepts. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as he treats his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. For no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained for it, trained by it. So this morning, we really are going to see one overarching principle, and I want to apply this in the end to how we look at our relationship with God, and I want to give you some context on this principle. But the principle that we see in Hebrews chapter 12 could not be more clear, and it is simply this, that loving parents discipline their children. Loving parents discipline their children. So last week, we looked at the marriage relationship and the idea of submission, and now we're talking about kids and the area of discipline, so I don't know what I'm going to pull out next week, but it'll be equally controversial and depressing, but this week, we're going to talk about discipline, and by the end time we have ended, I hope that we have a whole different view on discipline than we did when we come in. Honestly, I hope to help you see it in a completely new light. And even as I read the text this morning, perhaps you saw it, began to see it anew as you heard the words of the author to the book, uh, of the book of Hebrews. With extremely rare exceptions, the vast majority of parents want to do what's best for their children, don't we? But I have found that we as parents often struggle to do what is best for our children. We want what's best for them, but it is really hard to do what is best for our children. And we fail, when we fail, in this issue of boundaries in the area of discipline. For me, the reason I think I fail so often in the area of discipline has all, everything to do with exhaustion that leads to emotional outbursts of anger. I come home from work after, I don't know, a tiring day or whatever day, and I don't really lift bricks anymore, but I'm still tired. I usually work out. And then I do work here, and I'm, I'm emotionally drained. And the truth is, I just want to go home, and I want to emotionally check out for a little bit. But there's toys all over the floor. 
and the house is messy and the kids are loud and they're really pretty good kids. I've seen some of y'all's. <laughs> I'm a jerk. You know, no, they're pretty good kids, but I get home and it's loud and the toys are all over. And selfishly, I just want to check out. And I kind of know what to do at times. I know that I need to resist exhaustion and engage. And I need to discipline my kids, which as we will see has a very different light than what we often think of when we hear this word discipline. But the truth is, it's much easier to yell and just say, quiet down and clean up. Those are always the things when I yell, I yell. Quiet down and clean up. My kids must think I am some kind of weird tyrant that just likes clean, quiet environments, which is true. So uh, I think when most of us hear the word discipline, what immediately comes to our mind is, isn't it? It's probably, maybe it's just me and I'm a weirdo and I could take full credit for that. But I think immediately what comes to my mind is spanking, uh, which has become almost this like social political issue. Uh, Conservatives spank, liberals don't. Conservatives believe global warming is a farce. Liberals don't. But that is all just so silly, isn't it? Um, I'm not exclusively speaking about spanking uh, when I talk about discipline. That is certainly one form of discipline and most often not even the most effective way. But to understand what, you really, what I really mean by discipline and what I believe this text is trying to give us a framework for, I need to give you a working definition of discipline so that you just don't think of a you know, aerodynamic ping-pong paddle, right? Or spoon, or whatever it is. Discipline is nothing more than setting external boundaries that are designed to develop internal boundaries. Discipline is nothing more than developing and setting external boundaries that are designed to develop internal boundaries. Discipline, when it is done well, provides structure in our environments, in our homes, so that our children have enough safety and space to develop their inner character so that they don't need the external boundaries one day. There's probably, there's a story I've told, I think, before, and it's probably my favorite story ever, and I've never been more attracted to my wife than when this night happened. It was probably six years ago or so, and my son, who's uh, Walton, he's eight, And he had one night where he was just going to push the envelope about uh, eating his broccoli. And he wasn't going to do it. And my wife sat there at the dinner table. And I don't know why this just makes me love her so much. I don't know. But she sat there with him for like an hour and a half until he ate. And it was just one of those things. And I say this, my wife is the cutest, sweetest, kindest person. But I love it for what she does for me and what she does for our kids. Her will is like iron. You know, it'd be really easy for me. I'd just yell at them and tell them to eat their broccoli, do it now, because I wouldn't want to deal with the hour and a half. But see, discipline is an external boundary that's designed to develop internal boundaries. Good discipline always moves children to more internal responsibility and more independence. And so the goal of Sitting with Walton to eat, get him to eat his broccoli was not to waste an hour and a half of her life. But when as a two-year-old, they need a different level of discipline. And hopefully when he's 18, he'll eat something green every so often. Right? That is the key. 
internal responsibility and independence. The goal is not to get external obedience. I think sometimes our kids may think that that's what we want from our uh, kids. And maybe sometimes it is. But the goal is not just external obedience or behavior modification. The goal is to instill in our children internal character that leads to taking responsibility for their own life and independence. Now, if you were to imagine the way a parent would discipline, like kind of on a continuum, and imagine this long line. On the one end of the line, you might have the parent who is extremely strict, you know, Their curfew is 6 p.m. after dinner, so dinner's over and you're in bed, you know? They set up extraordinary rules that make the kids feel as though they have no room to move or to breathe. On the one end of the uh, continuum is conservative rules with no bend. And those kids may develop external obedience. They may not have a choice depending on how authoritarian you are. But imagine on the other scale of the spectrum is the parent who is very loose, gives their child no rules, and pretends to be their friend all the time with letting them do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whoever they want. And I think as parents, we all know that both of those sides aren't real good. And we all kind of think of ourselves as somewhere in the middle, probably, we, you know, unless we're unhappy with our parenting. But the question we need to ask ourselves as parents is, how do you feel like your discipline is working? Do you feel as though your children are developing internal independence and character? Or do you worry it's just external? To better understand how we help our kids with discipline, we need to understand the difference in a couple different areas. The first thing that we need to understand the difference between is positive and negative discipline. And many of us may stand here or sit here and think, I just thought it all negative, but it's not. There is a difference between positive and negative discipline. The word discipline in the Bible, uh, loosely translated, could just be translated training or teaching. Discipline is nothing more than training, and there is positive ways to train, and there are negative ways to train. Positive discipline is training before a problem happens. Positive discipline is kind of like the carrot, you know, that we hold in front and we teach our kids and we show them what it's going to be like. Positive discipline is the carrot. It is training our children before a problem happens. Imagine you're teaching a a teenager, he turns 16, and you're teaching him how to drive and you've got to drive with him as he has his permit. As you teach him, you are disciplining him. You're teaching him, and and the discipline is very much just teaching. It is, you know, when there's a red light, stop. When you see the stop sign, stop. Before you turn right, look both ways. I was always taught to go like this. Right? You teach him and you spend time with him. You do not start by teaching your kid, you know, I know you're not real good at this and in a little bit you're going to get in an accident. Here's where the insurance card is. And I hope it's not too bad. You teach him by showing him the rules of the road and teaching him what the buttons do and what they mean and, you know, to be careful. When it snows, like Chris likes so much, it's more difficult to drive. You have to slow down. You teach him. It's positive discipline. It's training your kids before a problem happens. 
But I've noticed that not all kids learn from positive discipline. Generally, there's some negative discipline that is needed. And I don't mean negative in a, a, a bad way. Negative discipline could be understood or defined very, very simply just as discipline that is training after a problem. There is a type of discipline when you're teaching your kids to drive that is just training and you're teaching them what it look, looks like, what, what the rules of the road, what the buttons do. But there is also a training that happens after the accident occurs, doesn't it? And negative discipline is really just training after a problem. And what we do is we make sure we let our children suffer the consequences of their actions so that they learn the responsibility of their behavior. If you were teaching that same teenager to drive and they had an accident, it may mean that part of the consequences of their actions are they can't drive for a while. And sometimes the the consequences are really easy to inflict. If you had a third car and they were driving it and you total it and you can't afford another car, then the consequences are obvious. The, The car is gone. But sometimes in our culture, we have the money to fill in the gap of their actions, their behavior. And we, we, if we're not careful, out of love as parents, can use money to fill in the gap of those problems and they don't experience the consequences. And it can feel like love, and sometimes it is, and it's a really tricky place to know where to go in this, isn't it? But there has to be consequences. It's a part of discipline. What I want to see as we kind of transition it, as we think of this idea of positive and negative discipline, and what I want you to help you understand as we kind of switch and transition from how we parent as uh, parents to how God interacts with us, and we see this throughout the entire words of the Old and New Testament, is that God uses both of these forms. God uses both positive and negative discipline. If we were to read the Old Testament, you would hear the stories of how God shared with Israel his law and how they were to interact with God. And we see over and over again that in the Old Testament, Israel fails to do what God said. I think it's easy to read the Old Testament and see those stories as harsh stories of an angry God punishing his people. But that is not what I see when I look at the Old Testament. And it doesn't matter if you're new to faith or if you've been a Christian for a long time. There are things in the Bible that we just wrestle with and we have to struggle through. And it's a part of our spiritual growth and our maturity. But as we look at the Old Testament, as, as we interact with some of those stories of what appear to be a God of anger and punishment, um, it is not what I see when I look at the Bible through the lens of Jesus, who he was, what he did, and what he longs for us. This morning, I want you to see as we, we move on, there's not only a difference between positive Uh, and negative punishment, but there's a difference between discipline and punishment. There is a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is payment for wrongdoing. If you were to go and you were to break, uh, if you were to go to the Wegmans today and you were to break one of their displays or you were to break a window, they would punish you for that. They could do it easily where they would come to you and have you do it or they could take you to court and they could punish you for it. They are not concerned with you as a person necessarily. They are concerned with the property that you destroyed 
being restored. That's punishment. Punishment is payment for wrongdoing. And there is a world of difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is not relational at all. Discipline is always relational. It cares about the person in which you are interacting with. Discipline is concerned with the future, isn't it? It's relational and it's concerned with the future. When we discipline our kids, we are not concerned with restoring something they've stolen from us necessarily. We're concerned that they don't become delinquents and live in our basement for the rest of their lives, right? We're cons- but, and that sounds kind of selfish, but what I mean is we're concerned that they become people of character themselves. Punishment is not relational. It is not concerned with the future. It is concerned with the past, isn't it? You broke this, you pay for it. With discipline, the only danger that we face is consequences for our actions. But we don't face alienation and isolation relationally. You can probably already see where I'm going with this, and it is so beautiful. With discipline, we face consequences. There's no question, but we do not face isolation and alienation from the people who love us. And parents use all kinds of tactics to influence their kids for good. But we should never use this kind of tactic, should we? If you don't do this, I will not love you. And very few parents maybe would say those words. There are some who have. And those kids do not forget those words. But as parents, it can be very easy to give off that vibe, can it? If you do this, I will not love you. We should never, ever use our interactions with our kids. If we ever use our interactions with our kids to threaten them by withholding relationship, we've moved outside of discipline and we've moved into the realm of punishment. Now, we're talking about boundaries, what we are responsible, an invisible fence of what we are and are not responsible for. Parents are responsible for their children's discipline. And children are still responsible for their choices. The tricky thing is, and this is so heartbreaking, that when children do not reform their behavior, the result of the discipline is consequences, and those consequences begin to go up and up and up the older you get. When you're young, you just got to sit at the table for a while and eat broccoli. You get a little older, and the discipline may start, like, if you don't do that, you'll lose dessert. And I mean, that is a harsh consequence if you miss out on ice cream. But it gets a lot worse, doesn't it? Then you get older, and you start going to school, and if you don't do your schoolwork, you fail. And then you maybe finally are able to get through school, and then you get in a job. But you know, I found out that if you don't go to work, because you don't have enough character, like, they don't continue to pay you, you know, if you don't go to work, and they fire you. And I found that if, as you continue to go through life and if your character hasn't developed and you're not learning from those relationships and those disciplines, that the consequences just get higher and higher. And eventually the consequences get so high at times with discipline that you cannot survive the consequences. You eventually end up in jail, and at the very worst, you end up where there's no going back. 
And it's not that people don't love you or God doesn't love you, but there's no, (laughs) you've done something that cannot be undone. We always tell our kids, sorry doesn't make things better. I've noticed that like, if my child break, breaks another one of my kid's arms and says he's sorry, it doesn't just magically repair his arm, does it? There's consequences to what we do. And if we do not heed the warning of discipline, the choices that we can make will result to consequences that we cannot survive. And so here's why I'm saying all that and what I want you to see, and probably for the majority of you, the takeaway that you'll have from our time together, it's not so much about parenting, although I hope that helps you, but about the way you see your relationship with God. And the big takeaway I want to give you this morning, and to some of you, you'll struggle with this statement, and for others, it will seem absolutely entirely freeing, but God does not use punishment He uses discipline with us. God does not punish us. He disciplines us. I want to turn, and I want to to help you to see this from our text. And I know that some of you right now are looking at me and thinking, Pastor, you're crazy. God punishes us. And you might even point out to our text, and you can look at it with me this morning. You can go to verse 6, and you can see, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens or punishes everyone he accepts as his son. You know, this, this little section here, this is just kind of fun. Every so often I like to talk about this stuff because uh, it proves I went to school or something. But this, this little section here in verse 6, it's a quotation. The author of the book of Hebrews is quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. And he's quoting this text, which is a proverb. Proverbs function in a really unique way. It's poetry, the book of Proverbs. And in the Hebrew world, poetry functioned on uh, not rhyme and meter like ours does, you know, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, you know, and it's rhyming. But in Hebrew poetry, it functioned on parallel ideas or thoughts. And so this text, you see, you can see the parallelism. It's called synonymous parallelism in verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts. The author is using discipline, correlating it to chastening, and he's using the same type of language, and he's using love in the same place as accept. But you'll also notice as you go through this entire text, the language of discipline is repeated over and over, but the language of punishment or chastening is not. This is just a proverb in which he's re-saying something with a different word, synonymous parallelism. The thought or the context or the... um, the content of what the difference between discipline and punishment are is very clear. Punishment has in mind restoring what has been lost in the past, but discipline is relational and is concerned with the person's future. And I want to read you a few texts that will help you see this very clearly. They're beautiful. Paul says in Romans 6.23, and I have it up for you on the screen, He says, the wages of sin is death. That's the consequences, or that's the the ultimate result of sin. I think sometimes in our culture, we don't like to talk about sin, but sin is such a freeing thought. If we pretend that sin doesn't exist, we will find, even though we pretend it doesn't, that we will come up against the results of our sin, and they will destroy our life. Because that is what sin does. It destroys us. It's its very nature. And so if you live your life apart 
from the way God has designed you to live, you will find that you will experience destruction. But you see that although God has said the law of what sin does, he does not leave us there. Because God is not a God of punishment, but of discipline. And he says, for the wages of sin is death, but right, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He does not say, for the wages of sin is death, hopefully you can reform, and then God will accept you. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what that means is that while we were sinners, Christ gave us a gift, and that gift is eternal life to all who accept it. And it's a gift. We, don't ha- we can't work for it. We can do nothing to earn it. But say to God, Father, thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. That's what we sang about all this morning. Thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. And that gift is eternal life. He does not punish us. He disciplines us. The second text that I want you to see is from Paul as well. And it's in the same book. It's a few pages after. And it's found in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And hear the language of it. Perhaps you've heard it before, but hear it again. Paul says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And in in our own minds, which seek to condemn us for every little wrong we do, and in a world that is condemning, God holds forth in spite of our wrongdoing and our sin, that no matter what you do, you can't make up for it fully. God says, I do not condemn you. It is forgiven. And all who accept Jesus Christ can experience that forgiveness. We talked last week, God doesn't force us to do anything. He allows us to make our choices. And he allows us to live with the consequences. Now, some of you might be thinking, but what about hell? Is that not a punishment? Hell hell is the... um, Hell is not a place where a devil is with a pitchfork and he's poking us with red, fiery stuff, you know? The very language in the Bible of hell is of a fiery darkness. It's a metaphor. But it's a metaphor for a real place. Just like if I was to call your car a tin can because it's all rusted out. It's a metaphor for a real place in which all who have chosen to live apart from God can experience the physical reality where God's presence is no longer. That destination is final, but it is still not punishment. For you remember, just like a son who continues to make decisions, even though he's disciplined, will ultimately find him in a pl- himself in a place where he cannot go back. It is the consequences of discipline that we did not heed. And God is responsible for his disciplining of us, just like parents are responsible for disciplining their children. But the kids are responsible for their choices, just as we are responsible for ours. And so this morning, as we have this vision, and you, can, you don't have to close your eyes, but as you think about, what, is, what do I feel like God is like? How do I see him? I want to start encouraging you to reframing the way you see God in light of his love and his grace. A love and a grace that is so powerful that he is willing to take on 
all of our sin for our benefit. A love and a grace that is so powerful that he does not force us to accept it. But for those who see the beauty of Jesus, just as we've sung all this morning, we see a beauty that is a gift that is freely given. We see a beauty that gives us a life of no condemnation. And we see in our very text ourselves, and I want to point it out as we close, Romans 12, verse 10, we see the very result of discipline. It is not so daddy has a cleaner, quieter environment, right? It is for this reason. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That is what God wants for you, and that is what God wants for me. The more we are learned from the positive discipline of God, the better our life will be. Allow yourself to see his beauty and be transformed by his grace. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray for parents, parents who are trying to raise their kids and doing their best, and we all acknowledge it's really hard, especially in the area of discipline. We're tired, and we're confused, and we're working out our way. But I pray that you would help us to lovingly discipline our kids, to give them a framework so that they develop their character. And Father, I above all pray for us as we are being shaped by our lives in which you are completely in control of and help us to see what you are doing so that we may be trained by your love and by your discipline and may experience righteousness and peace. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.